Asia Pacific currents. News and labor issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest、uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at nine o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning, and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday, the third of April. It is Easter Saturday for those of you who、uh, follow the Western calendar of Christianity. Of course, Pierre, my Easter is in five weeks' time. Anyway, enough of that. One minute past nine o'clock. This is Asia Pacific Currents. I'm Giselle, and I'm Pierre, and I'm、uh, I'm sorry to hear that your mathematics is so、uh, off, really. But、uh, what do you mean? Anyway, oh, my、saying? people.、Mm. Yeah, we call that racism in the classics, Pierre. But never mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe we'll have a we'll have a show about racism one one day. But anyway, yes,、uh, my name's Pierre, and、um, welcome, welcome. It's a beautiful day out there. Another show looking at the labour、uh, issues and struggles in the Asia Pacific region. Obviously, you're listening to 3CR Radio. Thanks for solidarity breakfast for another、uh, very interesting and informative show. And of course, if you want to know more about Asia Pacific Currents, who who brings brings you the program, and how do you contact us? That's right. The show is brought to you by Australia Asia Workerlinks. You can find us on the web, all the w's dot a a w l dot org dot au. We're on Facebook and Twitter, so look us up on those social media platforms. And we are also advertising. A couple of events, a couple of upcoming events. We'll tell you about them in this show,、um, but also check out our Facebook page to see the details. And、uh, later on in the second half, after the news roundup, we will be talking about these upcoming events and some of the issues behind it. But our first、uh, news stories is unfortunately、uh, Myanmar again.、Uh, it's really featured very prominently on our news roundup for all the wrong reasons. Really,、um, basically the killing field. Are continuing Myanmar. It is now just over two months since the military coup on the first of February, and the death toll from the military and police crackdown on protest has now surpassed 500 people dead, with many th- more thousands injured. It is also believed that thousands more have、uh, also been arrested, although exact figures are very hard to come by. Now, workers continue to be at the forefront of the of this struggle with many with many. Workplaces now presided by police and military, while other workers have had to flee their homes to safeguard their safety. The military regime has also renewed its offensive against minority ethnic groups on the borders. All countries、uh, around Myanmar are now experiencing increasing numbers of people who are trying to flee from the repression inside Myanmar. And we're、uh, moving now to the Philippines, where again those killing fields continue. Another unionist has been murdered in the Philippines earlier this week on the twenty eighth of March. Dandy Miguel、uh, was shot eight times by unknown assassins while riding a motorcycle home from his workplace in Calambar City. The 35-year-old Miguel was the president of Fuji Electronic Philippines Union and vice chair of Pamanatik KMU. He'd recently lodged a complaint with the Commission of Human Rights, criticising extrajudicial killings of unionists and human rights activists.
Miguel's murder adds one more to the more than 50 trade unionists that have been killed since Philippine President Rodrigo Duterte came to power in 2016. In addition, during the same period, another 61 lawyers, prosecutors and judges have also been murdered in extrajudicial killings, and that's to say nothing of the countless lumpen proletariat, so the uh, drug-addicted um, people of the streets, but also rank-and-file trade unionists and rank-and-file communists that have been just outright slaughtered yeah, in the and, streets. And urban poor and anyone else who basically is poor and is in the way. I mean... It becomes like uh, you go, go, what do you say anymore? It's been five years of these... Brutal murder. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Our hearts go out to our comrades in the Philippines. Um, We now go to Palestine, where on Tuesday of this week, March 30, was the 45th anniversary of Land Day. Um, and tens of thousands of Palestinians in the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, and inside Israel demonstrated to protest against the continued expropriation of Palestinian lands. The the so-called Land Day commemorates the general strike that started on March 30 in 1976 to protest against the proposal to confiscate in one go large swathes of Palestinian lands. Um, in that on that day, in the following days, on in 1976, six Palestinians were killed, hundreds injured, and hundreds more arrested. So every year uh, uh, that is commemorated. Um, now, last year, marches on Land Day were cancelled for COVID-19, and while this year they were once again repressed by Israeli military forces, leading to scores of demonstrators being injured and arrested. Again, some things just don't seem to change much. And the garment industry um, bearing the brunt of the economic crisis of COVID-19. A report released this month by labour and human rights activists has highlighted how in Sri Lanka, apparel brands, retailers and manufacturers have continued to make huge profits while cutting costs at the expense of workers' health, employment security and income. The monthly minimum wage in Sri Lanka is currently around 70 US dollars a month, a figure that is well below a living wage. Such poverty wages drives garment workers to work excessive overtime hours and skip rest breaks like lunch. During the pandemic, the report found that brands and retailers resorted to cancelling orders and delaying payments to shore up their profits forcing local companies to slash hours of work, withhold wages and other payments from garment workers and pushing them further into poverty. And though the report highlights Sri Lanka, of course we know and have reported that this is also occurring in Bangladesh and other massive garment manufacturing countries. That's right, that's right. And we've actually, um, going back to Sri Lanka, we've got an ongoing project right now, not in the garment industry but in the PP with Ansel. Um, workers in Sri Lanka uh, combating a union-busting uh, exercise by the global Australian company. Uh, we now go to India, where it's a story about the vaccines, where uh, workers scavenging on huge rubbish dumps of Indian cities are a common sight as recycling and proper rubbish disposal is often lacking. These workers, who number in the hundreds of thousands, are not employed in any formal sense, working and operating in grey legal zones. These workers collect rubbish for resale value in order to scrape together a few dollars a day and survive. 
their workplaces are not only highly toxic, but they're exposed to all kinds of dangers from rubbish trucks and bulldozers, as well as sharps in the rubbish dumps. While a vaccination drive is underway in India, targeting health and sanitary workers as essential workers in the fight to stop the spread of COVID-19, reports have now come out that the all these workers, given that they're um, informal workers, have so far been excluded from any vaccination plans. Um, for other reports from around the world would indicate that uh, this situation of exclusion is also being repeated around the globe. And... Further cruise ships being sent to South Asia. This is the um, the uh, shipbreaking yards that we know are also death traps for workers. The COVID-19 pandemic has hit many economic sectors around the world in the last year, but one of the hardest hit has been the cruise ship sector that since March 2019 has been shut down all around the world. Actually, I think I, I might have got that wrong, but anyway... This has left hundreds of ships anchored around the world, many with scores of workers stranded on them for months at a stretch. A new report has now highlighted how some of the big shipping companies have started to scrap some of their cruise ships. In order to save costs, the companies are using all kinds of subterfuge to evade regulatory laws around the safe scrapping of ships to send them to the cheapest shipyards. The report found that these ships were heading either to unregulated sites in Turkey or to the many beaching yards in South Asia. Uh, yes, yes, and we know what the conditions on those huge um, shipbreaking yards are like in uh, South Asia, which are quite um, terrible. So it's just on 10 past 9 o'clock. We'll go to a couple of committee announcements and then we'll come back to discuss those um, public meetings that are coming up um, here. It's been 30 years since the Royal Commission released its final report into Aboriginal deaths in custody. Things have actually got worse, and there's still no justice. Come along to the National Day of Action. Stop Aboriginal deaths in custody. Black Lives Matter, Saturday the 10th of April, 1pm, on the steps of Parliament House, Melbourne. Join us in the streets to demand justice and self-determination. See you there. Our programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. 12 minutes past 9 o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. This is Asia Pacific Currents. Now, there are a few announcements I want to make just advertising some upcoming meetings. The first one is a meeting organised by an international coalition for um, 
well, not quite democracy, but the end of military rule and in solidarity with the people of Thailand and Myanmar. Um, and AAWL is the chair of that international coalition. That meeting is scheduled for six o'clock on April the 6th. Um, there are it's quite a, a amazing lineup of speakers. Robert Reed, who is a secretary general of Union First in New Zealand, he's also a friend of Somyot Pruksakasemsuk, who is back in prison. For those of you that are following that story, um, Gopal Krishnan, who is the general secretary of the Malaysian Confederation of Trade Unions. He's also a friend of Somya and also speaking both on the struggle in Myanmar and Thailand. Debbie Stottard, who was the founder of the Alternative ASEAN on Burma, um, and she'll be speaking about the situation, the struggle for freedom and anti-militarisation of Myanmar. Uh, Junya Lek Impraset, who is a Thai exile currently based in Berlin, will also be speaking. And she'll be bringing along one of the local youth organisers in Thailand. People who are following this story will know that the massive uprisings in Thailand are all due to a burgeoning um, youth movement in that country, which we haven't seen in a very long time. Lisa Darmanin, who is the secretary of the um, Australian Services Union ANS, VICTAS. Um, so she'll also be speaking about um, the importance of international solidarity. That is the public meeting on April the 6th. As I said, a very strong lineup and very worth getting to. The Zoom details will be on Facebook. Um, so go to our Facebook page, Australia Asia Worker Link. So just search for AAWL in Facebook and you'll find us. Uh, and then you can get the details of that. Another public meeting, which is being held on Friday, the 16th of April. And Pierre, I'd like us to talk a little bit more about this one. This one is a public meeting for the freedom of Abdullah Ocalan. So uh, uh, Abdullah Ocalan's been imprisoned in Turkey for 21 years or by Turkey um, and he is arguably one of the most widely recognised leaders of the Kurdish people. Um, he uh, is pushing for and is uh, promoting a movement for peaceful solution of the Kurdish question that requires the Turkish authorities end of his isolation and uh, turn to serious peace negotiations. So in terms of who's speaking at this public meeting, um, uh, British trade unionist Claire Baker and she is, and also an additional speaker, the former Icelandic MP cabinet minister and historian Ogmundur uh, Jonasson. Um, also Australian historian and writer John Tully and Australian Kurdish journalist and former union organiser Mansour Razagi. The event will be chaired by Australian unionist Sarah Hathaway, who's probably known to many listeners today. But the reason, Pierre, I want to talk about this is... Um, can, I, can I stop you before... Oh, gosh, okay. Um, no, no, just to say that the previous public meeting about oh, yeah. Thailand yeah, and sure. Burma, let's go for one... At a time. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, no, no. I think uh, just two quick things, and then we can go to that. I have no no problem. One is that um, the similarities of now the Thai and the Myanmar struggle, and how a lot of the activists see those similarities, and I think that's uh, that's a very interesting point that I think it's coming up more and more. But um, secondly, also to say that we'll actually um, bring you those. Uh, 
excerpts from from that over the next few weeks on this program. So even if, if for some reason you can't make it on the comfort of your home on the evening of the 6th, um, although, of course, if you're somewhere around the world, it might be at, at any time, um, you can actually watch it afterwards or even... Um, uh, listen to this radio program, and and I did say, and I, and I did um, actually look at a um, at a uh, at a video of uh, one about uh, Somyot recently. So that was good. It was uh, advertised. So there has been one good thing of all this COVID nineteen is that a lot of these meetings are now online. So um, I think that's uh, that's great. But anyway, let's go go back to the Ochlan one. What were you going to uh, well, ask me? I firstly. Um I mean, I don't want to fixate on this because I appreciate the comrades who are advertising their meeting, but um, they they say that Ochalan is known as the Kurdish Nelson Mandela. So I firstly wanted to ask you, as a person who knows the struggle of Abdullah Ochalan, uh, what is he most known for? What, why is he known to the Kurds as the Kurdish Nelson Mandela? Um because in terms of the struggle of uh, of the Kurds, and again, let's um, the Kurds in um, mainly in Turkey, but they're also spread in um, in other uh, three countries in uh, Iraq, Iran, and and Syria. So that's usually called uh, Kurdistan, uh, but the major area is in Turkey. Um, Ocalan is basically a Turkish Kurd or a Kurdish Turk who was able to, uh, with other people, reorganise the struggle for the Kurds against the Turkish state um, in the 70s. So he's been around a long time. So he, I mean, I think he'd be around 70 years of age by now. Um, so he's been the undisputed leader of the main party in uh, Turkey called the, um, the Kurdish Workers' Party or PKK. And um, he's been um, in jail for a number of years. Um, he was um, caught, I believe, in uh, in Kenya. Um, I think possibly with the help of Mossad many years ago. Um, and he's been in isolation since then. There's been he's put forward um, quite a few peace plans. His ideology has changed over the years. Um, he's, uh, I think he. He personally sees that um, the armed struggle may not bring um, the victory that w- they once thought anymore, but the reality is that the PKK uh, is still the uh, highly organised military organisation that's still fighting in the mountains of Turkey and Iraq. And the PKK being the um, listed as a terrorist organisation, including by Australia, the comrades that are organising the Freedom for Ocalan campaign um, are also uh, calling for the PKK to be lifted from the Australian terror list. Um I, I want to look at some of the arguments that Ocalan is making in relation to there being a limit to what the armed struggle can bring. But I guess the immediate question then becomes how far is negotiating a peace treaty going to get us, the workers' movement worldwide, and then for the specific oppressed um, Kurdish people in the four countries that, that are Kurdistan, um, I mean, what is your view? Do you think negotiating a peace treaty versus armed struggle is is 
Well, look, the the up to about 20 odd years ago, really only the Turkish Kurds were really the most organized. And so the Kurdish question was seen within a Turkish framework. Over the last 20 odd years, because of what's happened, especially in Iraq and Syria, the Kurds in those two countries have also organized. Um, and certainly in Syria, there's the PYD, which they've got a armed uh, wing as well. Um, their alliances are very interesting and contradictory. But then again, in the Syrian civil war, where they've got an incredible number of different um, enemies, you probably have to do whatever you do to survive. Now, they're PKK um, affiliated. In Iraq, and I'm just giving this background because to try and answer your question, is that it's become much more complicated. In Iraq, northern uh, Kurdistan or Iraqi Kurdistan has been semi-autonomous since a bit after the invasion of, of Iraq by the US over 20 years ago. That is controlled by two parties, the Kurdish Democratic Party of Kurdistan and the Patriotic Union of Kurdistan. Both of these parties are really fa family-type fiefdoms, and they're actually quite corrupt. Um, the corruption has become so much that now in northern uh, Iraq, there is now a new movement called Goran, who is actually split off from both of these two young people that is trying to organize against these two movements against the um, KDP and the PUK, the, the PUK. Now, both the KDP and the PUK um, uh, say that this Goran is actually a front for the PKK, the Ocalan uh, group, which they certainly have some links, but it's not. It actually came from within the social economic disaster that northern um, Kurdistan, northern Iraqi Kurdistan is. But to complicate the matters, when, if people remember the uh, Yazidi in northern Iraq, when ISIS, when they were being slaughtered, the only group that went to defend them was actually the PKK. They actually left the mountains of Iraq and went in there. So they now have a little base in northern Iraq. So Get, to get back to what you've uh, just asked, so it was a very, very complicated way to go around that. So the issue is not just P, the PKK in Turkey, because now these Kurdish groups are quite organized, not so much in Iran, but certainly in Iraq and Syria. So any development in Turkey would have great um, uh, echoes in these other countries. And certainly Turkey keeps attacking the PYD in northern Syria because it sees it as an um, uh, extension of the PKK. And the Turkish government has actually said to both the um, Kurdish Democratic Party in Iraq and the Patriot Union of Kurdistan and the central government of Iraq, if you don't do something about the PKK in the Yazidi regions, we'll go in to fix the problem ourselves and within turkey the pkk's had um i mean they're a military force they've now had over the last maybe six years some of that um a political ally in the hdp 
which is a leftist democratic um, front that got 15% in the elections. The, it really represents the Turkish, the Kurdish question in Turkey, but also is a home for a lot of the left in Turkey. The Turkish government has, an, has repressed this party continually and is actually now wants them to um, proscribe them as a terrorist organization itself. So the political space for the Kurdish uh, movement in Turkey actually keeps being closed all the time. I, I firstly, that's some extraordinary um, telling of the political factions and forces. So thank you for doing that. It, I am left with the intractability of the struggle, though. What is the way forward when the repression is so deep? Um, I can give you an, an easy answer that a lot of people have said beforehand, that the Kurdish question is totally tied up with the situation in Turkey, Syria, Iraq and Iran. Um, and, and really, um, it, it's all... So even in Syria, take for, Syria, for instance Syria, that it basically it's fell apart, you know, uh, had the civil war, it's fallen apart, there's all these imperialists, sub-imperialists, and everyone's gone in there. And the PYD was able, PYD was the main Kurdish forces in northern Syria, was able to utilise the time and space that the Syrian civil war afforded them to actually organise, have weapons, and and make some safe zones. But now, um, because everything, it's like an island, in in all these storms going around it. And so you sort of go, um, you're likely, like if it wasn't for, and I hate to say this, probably if it wasn't for the USA forces who are in there for their own reasons, the PYD would have been crushed either by the Turkish or by the Syrian forces or by the Iranian-aligned forces. Um, so it's like they're an island that are surviving. So certainly for the uh, issue in in uh, Turkey, it only goes through the the, the Turkey political um, sphere. That's the that's where you're going to solve the Kurdish question. And in one sense, they tried this with the HDP, and it's not the first attempt. But the Turkish government is destroying the HDP, which is the legal. It's not even a legal front. It's not. It's not. It's not a front for the PKK. It is a Kurdish-Turkish left-wing force which supports the rights of the, Kurd, of the Kurds in Turkey. Totally illegal. It's been destroyed by the Turkish government. Um, so where will that leave the, the Kurds is a big question. Um, will they go back further to the PKK to continue this military struggle which is probably unwinnable? Um, so unless you have an internationalist uh, outlook and ability to um, uh, to deal with that, because there's actually been um, uh, lots of stories, lots of uh, rumours 
that the KDP and the PUK in northern Iraq has actually helped and allowed the Turkish forces to hit the PKK because they see that as a problem for them politically. Well, if you're interested, listeners, um, to find out more about the Freedom for Abdullah Ocalan campaign, but also no doubt exploring more of the depth of these politics in the region, get along to the public meeting on the 16th of April at 7pm. We're going to post details of the meeting on the AAWL Facebook page. The organisers are asking you to register, so we'll post a link so that you're able to do it. But Pierre, it is one minute to the end of the show and the start of Palestine Remembered. So that is kind of it for us. Thank you, Pierre, for um, sharing all of that wealth of wisdom and knowledge about the region. Um, But it is all for us on Asia Pacific Currents. We'll be back next Saturday with more news and current affairs from the Asia Pacific region. I'm Giselle Hanna. And I'm Pierre Morrow. And keep listening to 3CR Radio, your favourite community radio station. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.